Well, good morning. I, uh, first things first, I'm gonna sound a, a little bit differently today than I usually do, maybe a little bit lower voice. I'm uh, uh, battling a cold all, all week long. I got tested, I don't have COVID, so don't freak out. I, uh, I have a cold, you know, it's funny, growing up, it, it, we're gonna talk about my dad a little bit later, you know, this is called a cold. Now they call it an upper respiratory infection which sounds a lot worse. And, uh, and so I, I usually, seriously, this is true, I, I, I ask God usually to give me a, a cold on Monday so that I am fine by Sunday because I know you're gonna get it you know, during the season. And God was off by two days this week. And so uh, I got it Wednesday and uh, he's good and he's great and he knows what he's doing. And so I'm just uh, gonna be battling this a little bit today. So give me some, some graces, I know you will. Uh, take heart, I feel worse than I sound. So uh, that's all right. <laughs> And because of that, we're not gonna do the uh, book signing today that we had planned, <clears throat> mainly because I don't wanna get all of you sick and uh, trying to keep my energy uh, up for this week. So we're just pushing it off one week. We'll do the book signing next week. And as I say quite often, for those of you who might be dismayed, if this is the worst thing that happens to you today, you're blessed, amen, because that ain't that bad. So uh, we're halfway through our series on the 10 Commandments. Uh, and I gotta tell you, from the anecdotal feedback I've gotten as you've sent me some emails and, and, and texts and stuff like that, uh, it's being very well received. It's been a great study and I'm, I'm excited that we have still half of it to go. Uh, truly what we've learned is that the 10 Commandments are just as relevant today, though in a different way, than they were when they were given 3,500 years ago. So we don't use them to earn our salvation or anything like that. We covered that in the first two messages, but they are the moral foundation of how Christians need to act, obviously, uh, as we work out our, our sanctification into the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and they're relevant that way. And then even as we try to be salt and light in the world out there, uh, maybe they'll catch on and, and embrace these as well. So they serve great purpose still today. And we turn a corner today. We go to the fifth commandment, and we're turning the corner from the first four commandments that are all about your vertical relationship with God. So up to this point, we've talked about you and God. So, you know, no other idols. Uh, as Rustin talked about last week, Sabbath rest. As Kevin talked about not taking the name of the Lord in vain, those things. Today, we turn the corner now, and the rest of the series will be about your horizontal relationships with those around you. Today, with family, and then next week, with each other and society as a whole. So God knew what he was doing in giving us these 10 commandments. They're full-orbed, and they're very life-giving as we do a deep dive into each one of them. So today, honor your father and mother. We got a lot of work to do, and so why don't you bow with me, and let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. God, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for your mercy, how gracious you are, uh, for your holiness, and how you're everything we could ever dream of, and yet you're not a dream, you're real. And you're real because you've revealed yourself. And Lord, one of the ways we've realized you revealed yourself is through your word and in these commandments that we're looking at. Lord, commandments feel kind of foreboding in our modern ears, uh, yet we're realizing that they're very life-giving that you know what you're doing and giving these to us and that if we will but follow you, we can find the hope and the peace and the life that our souls are looking for. So God, as we talk about family today, for some of us it's gonna be difficult because we have uh, come out of not very great family situations, God. Speak to us today especially. 
about what you might want from us to find healing and hope as we move forward. And I pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen. amen. So this past Friday, October 22nd, was a milestone for me in a kind of small way because it was the 14th anniversary of when I landed here in Scottsdale to become your new senior pastor. It was 14 years ago, last Friday, that my family and I moved here to Scottsdale and I started as the senior pastor. And though there's a lot I could say about the last 14 years, and obviously most of it is good, for our purposes this morning, I wanna focus on something I started back then that has had significant purpose and significance when it comes to this fifth commandment that we're looking at. When I chose to come here to be your senior pastor 14 years ago, what many of you might not have known is that just two years before that, as I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, I had reconnected with my parents in a significant way. Mom and dad had retired in the mid-90s to Maine, and you'll hear earlier I had kind of a rocky relationship with dad, but they decided to move back to the Cleveland area, about 75 minutes south to a little town called Worcester, Ohio. And as I'd been reconnecting with my parents, every Monday for two years, from 05 to 07, I would, on my day off, go down uh, every month, I'm sorry, every month on a Monday, I'd go down my day off to see mom and dad, and I'd spend the entire day with them. And we'd have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'd do odd jobs around the house and just be the son that I think God wanted me to be. And it was extremely meaningful for my parents. And when I said two years into that that I'm moving to Scottsdale, I could tell that though they were excited for us, they were rather dismayed that they were losing uh, their, their son. And so I mentioned that to the elders back in 07. And one of the things I love about your church is that this church means it when it says family matters. God first, but family a close second. And the elders told me at that time they wanted me to prioritize mom and dad. In fact, they said we want you to make regular visits back to see them. So some of you know this, starting back in early 2008, I started quarterly visits to my parents where I'd fly into Columbus, Ohio, and I would then rent a car, drive seven, an hour and a half north to Worcester, spend 24 to 48 hours with them. I'd have lunch or breakfast with dad, lunch with mom, dinner with both of them, and then I'd fly back here, 2,200 miles back. And since that time, I counted this week, I've been so consistent in that that I have made 55 visits back to Ohio simply to see mom and dad. And though mom and dad, and though mom passed away just about four years ago, one of the things that she would constantly say to me when she was alive, and she would use this word, is how honored she felt that I would prioritize her and dad this way. And even though mom passed away, I still make the visits now to see dad because I think he feels honored as well. And yet, here's what you guys need to know. This honoring kind of relationship that I have with my parents was not always the case. In fact, what we're gonna talk about today as we look at this fifth commandment is that it has been hard fought and hard won for me to get to this place. And even now, you're gonna hear some stories, I have to work hard to maintain an honoring posture toward my dad even when I go to visit him. That's what we're gonna talk about today, this, this fifth commandment that is very straightforward and very clear that God has seen fit to put along 
aside other commandments like have no other idols before you or next week do not murder. (laughs) In the midst of that, he says this in Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's an interesting commandment, don't you think? Again, right alongside murder and idol worship, he says, oh, and by the way, honor your father and your mother. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of what the Bible means, (coughs) excuse me, by honor here, what we want to notice first is that when you look at this commandment in its totality, when you look at it from a 40,000 foot view, what you don't wanna miss is that God is obviously underlining the importance of family in merely giving us this commandment. And even more, he's telling us something about how he designed the family that's gonna be rather important in our modern context. So he's telling us for both the community of faith, the church, as well as for society as a whole, that we would do well to remember that he both invented and designed the family and puts a very high premium on it. That's why this commandment is alongside things like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and then before that, make sure you have Sabbath rest and don't take the Lord's name in vain. He plops family smack dab in the middle of it to make a statement and to say, I believe strongly in this thing that I created, and I want you to do so as well. In fact, I don't know if you caught it, but this is so important to God that he attached a promise to this command, that if we will honor the family unit in the way he designed it, he says this stands the best chance of you living long in the land. And though this promise was originally given to Israel, obviously in the context here 3,500 years ago, my theology tells me that that promise bleeds over to the rest of us who might embrace it as well. That God is saying, if you wanna live a long and happy life in the land you're in, part and parcel of that will be to honor the family as I have designed it. And so if you don't believe me, I love how one of the most respected and robust Old Testament commentaries says it when it says this. It says, all societal groups have grown out of the relation of father and child and draw their moral weight and stability upon which the prosperity and well-being of a nation depends from the reverence of children toward their parents. Or what would be a sermon from Jamie during this series without a, a, a word from J.I. Packer? Look at how Packer says it in his commentary. He says, the family is the basic social unity. No nation is stable or virile where the family is weak. And it's true. It's no coincidence that this fifth commandment goes the distance to mention father and mother and children. It's designing what the family is as God gives us this commandment because he's laying out the the inarguable building blocks of the family as God has designed it. And the reason that I'm pointing this out, and I wanna be delicate and gentle but clear as I mention this, is that I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our current culture is rather confused on God's design for the family today. And so as we read this commandment, what you and I don't wanna miss is that God's pretty clear on what 
He's designed the family to be how the family is to function, father, mother, and children. And when you and I are given a choice in our culture today to to have a voice, which we are in a democratic society, one of the things you and I need to realize is that it's okay to make our voice known on the importance of family as a building block for a good society and what God says here. And I mean a family made up of father and mother, as the commandment says, complete with children who know how to honor their parents. That's God's original design. This entire commandment is postured around this. And our culture is very confused on this today and is making a mess of God's original design. And before I go any further with this, I wanna also make something else really clear because there's a, a delicate balance needed here and that's this. This does not mean, however, that you and I don't have compassion when the family breaks down, whether due to divorce or abuse or abandonment, which can lead to a plethora of single parents and, 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 and the foster care system and all of that. We need to be the first in line to have compassion on that, and as you're gonna hear in a minute, to roll up our sleeves and do everything we can to help. That's our response when sin makes a mess of the culture and people's lives around us. We roll up our sleeves and help through compassion and justice. Yet at the same time, what you're hearing from me today, and we're gonna move on in just a second here, is that as we do that, we also should not be shy to share God's original creation plan for the family because this is how it best functions. And some of us are afraid to do that in our culture today, and the commandment is freeing us up to say it's okay. Here would be a great example of how this works. Um, One of the things I love about your church, Scottsdale Bible Church, is that we have a huge open door policy when it comes to culture around us. In other words, we say to the culture around us, we are welcoming, we are inviting anybody and all, come here please and worship freely to to find the Lord and discover him and be a part of our worship environments. That's our posture toward the community. And by the way, that's a thoroughly biblical thing because that's what Jesus did, amen? I mean, Jesus hung around with tax collectors and sinners and all types of people and he welcomed them as they were. But then, once he had relationship with them, he said, let's not leave you here. (laughs) Let's help you become, now connect with me and the Father and become the people that you were meant to be. And that's what we do as well. So though we're a very welcoming church in our worship environments, if and as people come to Jesus and now want to get their lives more in line with him and his word, we help with that as well. And so membership is one of the things that we do to help move people along. If you become a member of Scottsdale Bible Church, you now are saying that you agree with our statement of faith. So our statement of faith has these 10 or 11 doctrinal distinctives that describe things that you and I believe that the world doesn't about what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And if you're gonna be a member of our church, we want you to agree with that because that's what makes us the community of faith. But did you know also, some of you do because you've signed it, that if you become a member of Scottsdale Bible Church, we're also gonna send you a copy of our statement on marriage and sexuality because there's so much confusion on that in our culture today. 
And I'm not gonna read the whole thing for you right now. It's about a page long, but it affirms no less than nine or 10 things that the Bible says, things like we're all created in God's image and equal in his presence. That's an easy one. But then we affirm that God created male and female and that marriage is reserved for a union between one male and one female. That that's God's design for marriage. And then we ask you then to also affirm that there is to be chastity outside of marriage, in other words, no sex before marriage if you're not married, and fidelity within marriage. In other words, you remain faithful. Imagine that. And we ask you to affirm those biblical distinctives. And then we have three or four affirmations on, on homosexuality and, and heterosexuality and what we're asking people to affirm there, simply put, to truncate them, we ask you to affirm that God's plan is for heterosexual relationships, but we understand that some people do struggle with sexual desires, and we obviously understand that, but that you can remain pure within that struggle. In other words, we've worked really hard to develop a biblical statement here that tries to cut through a lot of the confusion that's happening today and get us back to what the Bible says. And again, we don't hit people with this right as they walk through the door. That would be rude. What we do say, however, is that as you come to Jesus and start to walk with him, let's help you reconnect with God in a right way. Amen? And by the way, our very last affirmation is, we affirm our call to speak lovingly to each other at all times about these issues. So none of this judgmental stuff, not being mean-spirited, not at all. We are a loving and grace-filled place, but we stand firm. And then what's interesting is that right on the coattails of this gang, that we then also remind each other that we're here to help people who have fallen prey to a lot of the craziness in our culture today. And what I mean by that is that you are a part of a full-service church. Many churches today don't have the resources to be full service. We do, thanks to your generosity. So our church has a complete counseling center, an, an, an off-site mental health outpatient clinic that we do counseling all the time at to help people who are struggling with life. We have divorce recovery workshops. We have an entire marriage preparation ministry. And as you know, our For the Valley initiative that we're kicking off this fall and into next spring is gonna make a major dent in foster care. In other words, we care about all the stuff going on in our culture as Christians should. It's just that as we care, we also stand firm. Why? Because the commandment is given, honor your father and your mother. It's God's creation intent right here in black and white, and we follow God in this. Now, believe it or not, having said all that, we haven't even touched the heart of the commandment yet. Because the heart of this commandment, and isn't this just like God, specifically tells us how to make all this work. How to ensure <coughs> that the family unit functions well. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but we're gonna focus on this right now. It all centers around that word honor. Honor. That's the key word to understanding what God is laying out in this commandment. So let's look at it one last time. God says, honor your father and your mother. 
Now, let me make a couple things clear about this. Again, people have been hazy about over the years, and I can't believe they're hazy about this because it seems clear to me. This commandment was given to adults. Do we all understand this? So whether you're five or whether you're 55, you're to honor your father and mother. In our culture today, we tend to use words like honor and obey for children. And though it is true that children need to honor their parents, the reality is, is that it's also true for adult children that this honoring thing, whatever it means, and we're gonna define it here in a minute, extends on into adulthood. That's the first thing we need to understand. But then we have to ask the question, what does the Bible mean by honor? What's involved in this? Because I know how some of you are thinking right now. Cactus, Northridge, Chapel, those of you online, you're going, I, I don't want to go into this conversation because my parents were anything but good. And Jamie, you don't understand. I, I've, there's no way I can honor them. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> and let's talk about what the Bible means by honored because I'm not sure that the way I hear people use the word honor, they're using it biblically. And probably the best way in our modern world to make our way to a true biblical understanding of honor is to first note a few things that honor doesn't mean. Because again, there's a lot of confusion out there today. So here are three misconceptions of honor, at least when it comes to what the Bible means by honor. And the first one is this, that, that some people think honor means that I have to listen to everything they say. I've heard people actually say that. That, 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 you know, for me to honor my parents, I need to listen to everything they say and never disagree with them. Well, I'm, I'm here to pop that bubble today because what if they say something that goes against what God has said? Or what if they say something that any rational person would say that's inane? Are, are we to then listen to them then? No, of course not. So this idea that honor means I have to listen to everything they say, that's just not true. Second thing is, is that I have to do Second thing is, is I have to do everything that they want. Again, I, sadly speaking, I, I've had so many counseling sessions where a guy has come in and he's in a troubled marriage and he would say to me, I kid you not, he'll say something to the effect of, well, if my wife would just you know, do everything that I want her to do, then things would be good. And I go, actually not. <laughs> and, then I, and then I say, I think I actually found the problem in your marriage right now. <laughs> Because I'm a theologian of, 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 of pretty high, I've studied the Bible a lot, and uh, I can tell you right now that neither the word obey nor the word honor means that they have to do everything that you want them to do. Because you're fallen, and you're sinful, and you're a mess, and so there's things that you want other people to do that if they were to do them, it would be dishonor for them to do them. Third misconception is that I'm never to disagree with them, and if I do, I can't say anything. <laughs> Again, that's not what honor means. And, and let me be really clear. Honor might mean one or more of these things in certain contexts. In other words, I'm gonna share some stories in a minute in which honor might mean that I should listen. Honor might mean that I should do. And honor might mean that I need to hold my tongue a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes those can be honoring things. But here's what you need to know, gang. None of those are the core definition of what the Bible means by honor. So what does honor mean in its original Semitic context given 3,500 years ago? It's a fascinating word, actually. It's the Hebrew word kabod, and it's used more than 100 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot, and it means we understand a lot about the word. And the word literally means, now look at this, it means to weigh heavily upon, to be heavy 
or weighty. Isn't that interesting? At its core, the word means to give weight to something or to someone. It means to put your weight into something or someone. And what does that mean? It means to show due attention to something or someone, to focus on something or someone, and give it the significance that it is due. Whether it's God or parents or a civic leader, that's how we honor them, by giving attention, focusing on, and giving it the significance it's due. And what's most fascinating about this word when you understand that and then trace it through all its 114 times that it's used in the Old Testament, that you realize (coughs) it really does mean to be weighty or heavy. And it can be used in very positive contexts, like when it says we need to honor the Lord, but it can also be used in very negative contexts. Let me show you. One of the most revealing uh, contexts of how this word is used to mean to be heavy is found in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It's a fascinating backstory. Israel had been attacked by the Philistines and they stole, the Philistines did, the famous Ark of the Covenant which housed the Ten Commandments and were part of the tabernacle. And they took that Ark to their town of Ashdod in Philistine and they put it right next to their fake god named Dagon. So they've just broken a bunch of commandments right there, right? Like, have no other gods before me, and da, da, da. And, and then they put the real Ark of the Covenant right next to their fake God. And as you can imagine, God is not happy with this one. He's not happy with the Philistines at all. And look at what it says in 1 Samuel 5, verse 6. It says, the hand of the Lord was heavy, kabod, against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Whoa. You gotta smile at this a, a, a little bit as we try to understand what kabod, translated honor, and other contexts means here. God was giving Ashdod the due attention he wanted to. He was putting his weight upon Ashdod at that time. Give me a head nod that you understand that. He was focusing on Ashdod in the way that they needed to be focused upon, and that's why the Hebrew writer uses the word kabod here, because it means to be heavy, to give weight to something. It's just here, it's a punitive weight. It's a rather negative type of heavy. But just three chapters earlier, they use the exact same word when Samuel quotes God to Israel when he says, hey, here's what God says. For those who honor Kabod me, I will honor Kabod, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Isn't that interesting? The same word that's used in the commandment that says honor your father and mother, that's used in 1 Samuel 5 to say God was heavy toward Ashdod, is now here used for God saying this, and it's so life-giving. He says, hey, for those of you who put your weight upon me, for those of you who give me the due attention and focus that my glory deserves, I'm gonna honor you back. I'm gonna put my weight upon you. And in the New Testament, we read about God's power and his spirit and all these other wonderful things. It's all about kabod. It's all about honor. And it means to put your weight towards something. That's the core meaning of it. And it's a very important understanding here as the Bible lays this out. So add it all up. Unlike how many people use the word honor today, 
that as we saw to mean to do what I say and listen to everything I say and never disagree with anything being somebody says, the Bible definition is much more rich and nuanced. The idea, don't ever forget this, is to give weight to, to show attention to, to not dismiss or treat as worthless, but to focus on. And when we understand this, and I'm gonna show you how this works in a minute, we begin to realize, now don't miss this, that it's possible to show honor to a loved one, even a parent who has hurt you and messed up what it means to be a parent. It's possible still to show honor there. It's possible to show honor to someone, even a parent, whose advice is not sound and that you would dare ever listen to. It's possible to show honor to someone, even a parent, whose actions are ungodly and you wouldn't dare follow. Why? Because honor doesn't necessarily mean that you have to listen, obey, or agree with others, even if you're your parent. At core, don't miss this, honor means that you put your weight towards something, that you give it the attention and significance that it is due. And the office of parent is worthy of that kind of honor. But you don't have to sell your soul to do so. And God has already upstreamed all of this and, and, and the terrible situations that some of us are in when he has said, understand what honor is and you can do that. I'll show you how in a minute. You can do that. So again, I, I love how Packer says it. He just makes so much sense in his commentary. He says it this way. He says, honoring them, your parents, means respecting them, so to speak, for their office, for their relationship to you. And then he said, should one's parents impede one's discipleship, disobedience to parents would become necessary. So isn't that fascinating? One of the greatest theologians of the last century essentially says that sometimes the way you honor parents is to disobey what they say. Now that's fascinating. And you're saying, how does that work? I want to wrap up right now by uh, sharing with you uh, a few true stories from my relationship with my dad because I think it's instructive for all of us. And I wanna make two caveats that are very, very important. I'm gonna spend a few minutes on these caveats because I don't want to be misunderstood here. The first caveat I wanna give is that as I share a bit of my story with you right now, please understand, I'm not saying this should be your story. Some of you are, are gonna identify with my story and others of you are gonna say, Jamie, I had it a lot worse than you. You have no idea the house I grew up in. And, and you need to know, I will say, you're right. Because I'm not trying to put my story overlaid on your story. I'm sharing with you my story to show how I've had to work out what it means to honor in my situation. But your situation's different. I read an article this week, very, very raw article on the Gospel Coalition website uh, from a gal named Jennifer Greenberg, it's a public article. And she writes about how she had been raised in just an awful, abusive, fundamentalist home in which her father physically abused her. He was a leader in the church and, and, and was so godly at church and then would come home and just you know, physically abuse his children, emotionally and, and, and spiritually abuse his children. And, and she's a survivor. She's in a, in a church today walking with Jesus and having her own family. But she writes about how for her, as she gave weight to her parents, gave honor and weight to this, that she eventually had to make the decision because there was no repentance, no seeing any of this, that the best way to honor them was to give them over to God. And to say, I have to protect my kids and my family 
and I have to set significant boundaries, and the best way is to release you to God and say, I honor you that way. That's severe, but I think that's legit. And so as you hear my story, I've not had to do that at all, or I wouldn't be flying back every quarter, but just know that we each work this out differently. The key theme will be that honor means to give weight to, to, to give significance to, to not run away from it, but attend to the parents that God has given you and ask him, what does it mean for you to honor? The second caveat that I wanna give right now, and you're gonna have a little bit of fun with this one, is that um, everything I'm gonna share with you, my dad has given me full permission to share. Because I would never share something with thousands of people that my dad or mom you know, would, would not share or not want me to share. I, I, we're private people, we understand that. But my dad, as he and I have worked through these issues, has said, please, feel free to share these things. In fact, it's kind of humorous. Um, uh, three, four years ago when I wrote my first book, Baker Bookhouse, the publisher, uh, very afraid of being sued. And so any story that I ever tell, whether it's about you or my dad or anybody else, I have to get written permission to use that story because they're afraid of being sued. <laughs> and my dad was a lawyer all of his life, and he thought that that was just ridiculous, that they are all concerned about being sued. He said, you guys are Christians for crying out loud. You know, why are you worried about that? And, and he was frustrated. He had to write the letter. But I said, Dad, if I'm going to write the book, i got to have a letter from you. So this is what he wrote three years ago. He said, Jamie... You hereby have full permission from your mother and me to refer to us in any way you may choose to do so and in any format that you may select to use. Sermons, books, speeches, pamphlets, family gatherings, civic clubs, you name it. This consent is intended to cover any and all future references, oral, written, or pictographic. <laughs> And then he said, and it is intended never to expire, not in our lifetimes and not by reason of death of either of us. I want you to know, Jamie, lawyers are dumb as stones. You should ignore them, Dad. <laughs> That's what he wrote. <laughs> and of course, I smiled too, and I, I called him right away, and I said, Dad, you gotta delete that last line. I said, I know you think it's funny, but Baker isn't gonna laugh at that. And, and this will tell you about the stories we're about to go into right now, because my dad said to me, I'm not deleting it, it's my letter, take it or leave it. <laughs> so I sent it, and I never heard back from them, but they did accept it, so that's good. I have a, always had a sandpaper relationship with my dad. My dad once said to me as we were hashing things out, and I found this so funny, he said, uh, you and I haven't gotten along since you were three. I remember thinking, well, I don't think the owner should be on a three-year-old, but okay. <laughs> My dad was raised in the Great Depression. His dad died in 41, 1941 during World War II. They were left penniless. My dad never had a dad, didn't know how to be really a father. I'm not saying that to excuse him. This is his background. He's a highly intelligent man, very cerebral, and uh, married my mom, loved my mom, 60 years. Uh, but his posture toward his children was very different than how it would be today. Jim Dobson, a Focus on the Family, once said that the best families, when you consider two scales, are families that have high love and medium discipline. He said that's the best way for it to work. High love and medium discipline. You raise good kids. He said the problem is a lot of parenting in the 50s and 60s was high discipline and low love. And it makes sense because a lot of what they came out of. When you come out of the Great Depression and World War II and Korea and all that, that crud and you're barely trying to, to make America work, you know, it's high discipline, low love. And that was my dad. 
Um, he, he didn't hug me much, certainly never said I love you, didn't have a lot of intimate conversations. It also never hit me. My dad didn't believe in corporal punishment, so I grew up at home with just very little touch and, and very little intimate conversation with my dad. And uh, that's just the way it was. And, and it's interesting because my sister, whom he doted on, uh, you know, felt all that. And my younger brother, who had the same experience I did, just said, I don't care. <laughs> it's kind of like a lot like my dad and just sort of moved on. But, but I didn't. I had a lot of problems as a young pastor, a lot of anger and, and a lot of holes in my soul. And when I went to counseling, don't you love these counselors? They said, well, tell us about your dad. <laughs> and I started to and it all came out. And somewhere in the early 90s, I, I, I realized how angry I was at some of the things my dad wasn't for me. And so I approached my dad, which was my first mistake. Because I approached dad and sort of laid out what I was realizing in counseling. And true to form, his, his response was, well, I did the best I could. What are you looking for? And I said, well, an apology would be nice. He said, I'm not apologizing for anything. He goes, I gave you a roof over your head, I paid for college, and I set you off in life on a good course, and you ought to be thankful for that, and stop bothering me with this therapy stuff. I thought, well, that didn't go very well. <laughs> so for about three years, I just said, he's dead to me. It was not a godly response. It really hurt my mom. I just said, if the old man's gonna be that way, I'm gonna return the favor, and I want nothing to do with you. And for three years in the 90s, I didn't visit him. I didn't write him, I never called. And mom was so hurt by that, and of course my dad was like, he'll come around, you know, and uh, <laughs> that type of stuff, and, and I was just angry. And eventually, as I think we all have to journey through, I understood that I need to honor my parents, but I didn't want to, and that I needed to give weight to this, but I didn't know how. So this was back before the days of emails, I decided to write dad some letters. It wasn't easy, as easy as you think. I'd, I'd write him letters saying what I feel, and he'd always write back. Dad's very faithful that way, and he'd write back, and he essentially would say the same thing. Look, kid, you know, I'm not gonna give you what you want. I was the dad that I was. I, I don't ever, my dad never apologized. He said, I'm not apologizing for anything, and uh, you either need to accept it or move on. And for a few years, I was like, I don't know how to accept this. I just, I don't know, God, how to do this. And then there was a breakthrough, and again, this is just my journey. I'll never forget, the year was about 1997. Dad sent me a letter, response to one of mine, and he made a line, he gave a line in that letter that, that was the breakthrough I needed. And he didn't mean it to be, it just was what God used. He said to me at one point in the letter, look, if you and I are ever gonna have the relationship that you even dream of having, it's gonna be because we put the past behind us and move forward, and then he said this, walking sensitively around the issues. And that phrase, both for Kim and I, because she read the letter, jumped off the page at us, walked sensitively around the issues, and here's what I heard in that, and I don't think I was imagining this. My dad, who never was great at intimate language, my mom would tell me years later, my dad was basically communicating in that, that Jamie, if you're gonna honor me, you gotta stop walking into the landmines with me. You, stop, you gotta stop going to places that though your soul wants that, it's more about you. I will never be able to go there. You gotta walk more sensitively around these issues. That's what my dad was saying. And I realized, again, in a military analogy, that every time I try to communicate with him, I would just step on a landmine and I'd hear that click. <laughs> and instead of trying to get out of it, I'd just take my foot off it and let everything blow up. And I realized I had a choice that God for me was saying that if you wanna honor your dad, 
work through your hurt, work through all that. He'll never be the dad that you necessarily wanted, but you can have a relationship with him if you're learning, if you would learn to walk sensitively around the issues. That when you're with him, love him, respect him, even though he's not all that you want nor need him to be. It's really funny, I made that decision back in 97 and around the year 1999, 2000, we went to visit mom and dad in Maine. It's one of our earlier on visits where they were living. And you can't make this stuff up. In fact, I, I once told Schrader the story I'm about to tell you, and Tom was like, I gotta meet this guy. And, uh, and when Tom was alive, he actually flew back with me one point, 2,200 miles to see dad. And, and we spent the night with, with mom and dad, and Tom wakes up the next day and goes, I love your parents. I'm going, you can't, you can't. <laughs> but Tom was like, this guy's great. And, and you know, but here's what my dad said to me back in 99. We're walking along the coast of Maine, and we're having a philosophical moment, just he and I, and we're looking at the ocean. And, and he said to me in a tender moment, he said, you know, I, I don't know what I would do if your mother died. I was touched by that. I was like, wow, that's a tender moment for dad. And I said, tell me more. <laughs> and I kid you not, he said, I, I just don't know if I'd stay in touch with you kids or not. <laughs> and of course I'm going, oh, that just ruined the moment right there. I'm like going, I'm, I'm right here, dad. You just said that out loud in front of me, your son. And the old Jamie would have stepped on the landmine right then and blown the whole thing up. The old Jamie would have said, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I felt when I was six and da 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 and, you know, and, and all the therapy would have come out and I thought, nope, 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 you gotta walk sensitively around the issues. This guy ain't right. And so I thought, you know, I, <laughs> and so I looked at him and with all the love I could muster, it was really a moment in time, I said to him, well, dad, that would be sad. I said, be sad for Katie, because she needs you. Be sad for Pete, even though he wouldn't say it. I said, and be sad for me, because we love you. And he didn't say a word to that. Fast forward 15 years later, mom died in 2017, maybe more than 15 years later. And uh, I was there when mom died. Got to hold her hand singing hymns. And uh, Pete had already left. Katie was at home. And the dad was at home, and I was in hospice with mom. I went home at 9.20 on that Saturday night and I told dad, I said, mom's in heaven. And uh, two days later, I'm still at the house planning the funeral and dad's in the other room and he's on phone with one of his best friends. And his best friend must ask him something like, how you doing, Frank, are you alone? And my dad said, I'm okay. And then he said this, he didn't know I was listening. He said, Jamie's here and he's been my rock. And I thought the guy that 20 years earlier said, I don't know if I wanna keep in touch with the kids. Now, I wanted to run in the other room and say, could you repeat that to my face? <laughs> but I didn't, because I'm walking sensitively around the issues. But for the first two years after mom's death, I called dad every week, almost every other night. And we've connected in a way that is meaningful. Is he ever gonna be the dad that me as a child wanted? No. Do I parent my kids different than how he did? Yeah, I do. In fact, there's a lot we disagree on. But have I found a way to honor him and to love him as God wants me to? I have. But it's been hard won, hard fought, and it's my story. And again, I'm not putting this on you. I use it as an object lesson that is you have to work out for yourself. How do you honor mom and dad? That maybe as you give thought to what does it mean to give weight to this, 
You might respond as Jennifer did if it was a really atrocious situation. For some of you, you're going home today going, man, I got it great compared to you. Like I got an amazing set of parents and they're Christian and they know the Lord and they've been grace-filled and all that. Then you know what? Tell them that this afternoon, amen? Tell them how much they mean to you as you probably do. That's okay too. We're all come from different places. But at the end of the day, we all fall under the same commandment. Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your goodness, and Lord, for your truth. And that we've learned today, Lord, that this command contains the, the DNA of what family is and that our culture needs to have some encouragement on that. And that Lord, also this commandment in the most life-giving way helps us learn how to navigate our difficult family situations. Lord, I know that some of us come from, from really difficult scenarios today. Just help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling when it comes to what honor means for us. Lord, for others of us who have really just life-giving parents, God, I pray, God, we tell them that today. Just remind them and thank them for following you and for giving us the life that, the, giving us the life that we have. God, uh, for all of us, may we be drawn to you. May we follow you and live long in the land. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.